The Lord be with you and also with you. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed, alleluia. We gather in virtual worship this Eastertide Sunday. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. The liturgy, music, and sermon are offered in the praise of God for our virtual congregation today and later around the globe. With joy and gratitude, we welcome back to our pulpit Mr. Scott Donahue Martins, PhD candidate in homiletics at Boston University. The service includes the sermon recorded April 14th, along with music and liturgy from earlier services. We welcome your support and responses. We await your self-selection of forms of leadership, ministry, and service in our midst. And as the spirit moves, when again it is permitted and safe to do so, your presence with us here in worship. Although our nave is empty, the music is full. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
we pray. O God, whose blessed Son made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread, open the eyes of our faith that we may behold him in all his redeeming work, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. In the ringing resurrection conclusion to his letter to the Philippians in the fourth chapter, our own apostle to the Gentiles writes, Have no anxiety about anything, but in all things, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, lift your needs to God. In this moment of confession, of pause and prayer, we turn away from our very human anxiety and leave it aside and lift our hearts, glad and happy hearts, to receive the divine thanksgiving, leaving beside us anxiety and holding on to God's Eucharist. Have no anxiety about anything, but in all things, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, lift your needs to God. Let us pray. Hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the first epistle of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. 
Please join me in reading responsively verses from Psalm 4 with the Antiphon. Answer me when I call, O God of my right. You gave me room when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, you people, shall my honor suffer shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. When you are disturbed, do not sin. Ponder it on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me lie down safe. And now, beloved, please rise as you are able for the reading the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 24, verses 36b to 48. Glory to you, O Lord. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Well, in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. 
you are witnesses of these things. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. When I was young, my family moved from upstate New York to northeastern Pennsylvania. We settled outside of Harford Township, a town with just over 1,000 people at the time and still is not much larger today. I have grown accustomed, especially in New England, to emphasizing the harf in Harford. There's no T in the name, but there is a yearly fair. The Harford Fair was always held in late August, just before the start of school. The fair held the promise of fireworks, friends, food, animals, and many other wonders to children and adults alike. Kids below 12 were always free, so my sister and I frequently roamed the fairgrounds. Over time, my sister closest in age and I learned how to glean at the fair. There was loose change to be found below the bleachers after sheep showings and tractor pulls. We generally found enough for pizza or ice cream. A booth offered apples if you made a hole in one at mini golf. It was free and the attendants were gracious if you missed. You just went to the back of the line until you made your shot. You get free water from the Baptist booth, candy from Democrats and Republicans, popcorn from a local bank, and you could watch a 30-minute Christian cartoon in the shade to break the August heat. There were even a few years where family artwork won some ribbons at the schoolhouse exhibits. To us, the fair teemed with possibility. We never quite knew what we would find, whom we would see, and the fun we would have, but every August, the fair came and went. Usually we would watch the yearly fireworks as a family, and that meant a trip to the Midway. The Midway was the location of the rides and carnival games. We spent more time watching than playing there, but the lights in action were fun to see. You could feel the wind whipping from rushing rides, hear balloons popping from darts, and smell french fries. At our family trip to the Midway, mom and dad or my older siblings would slip us a few dollars. We would play some skee-ball, 10 cents a game back then. We would also play a ping-pong ball toss game. For a dollar or two, you would get a basket full of ping-pong balls, enough for all of us to take many turns. The objective of the game was to throw the ping-pong balls into a narrow rimmed cup. Most did not make it and fell to the wayside. Like many carnival games, the odds weren't really in our favor to win the big prizes. The balls would hit the rims of the cup and bounce off. But most years, one or two of us would manage to get a ball in a small prize cup. The small prize was always a goldfish in a plastic bag. Whoever won the goldfish got to name it. And it was theirs, but we were all excited no matter who won. Throughout the evening, the fish would be thoroughly examined before being brought home. The fishbowl of water would already be prepared and fish food ready to be sprinkled. No matter what we did, though, no matter what we tried, no fish ever lasted more than a few days. Most had gone belly up overnight. This meant that the fishbowl sat empty for most of the year. It sat empty until the fair rolled back into town. The empty fishbowl resided on a shelf across from my seat at the dinner table. I'd look at it longingly. It was a sign of death and failure, a source of discomfort, a wound for a child who mourned the loss of fish barely known and hardly attached. The empty fishbowl was a sign of death. Yet by grace, it was also something else. It was also something more. By grace, the childish wound of the empty fishbowl was also a sign of hope. For every year with hopeful expectations, I imagined what it would look like to have the fishbowl be a place of life. Every year I looked forward to filling it with water with a hope that that year things would be different filling the bowl with water each year and hoping took faith. Imagining the bowl full was an act of faith. This involved looking past what was to what could be, 
to what could be seen through the childhood imagination. It was dreaming and wondering what could be if things were different. There's a difference between childish imagination and the wonder of a child's imagination. Too often the wonder of the imagination is set aside as childish, but imagination is central to the recognition of what is real and what really matters. Science, language, arts, theology, they all rest upon some form of imaginative thinking and imaginative expressing. The imagination provides us meaningful paradigms to interpret life and hope and faith for goodness. The imagination does not have to be an escape from the world. It can be a way of hoping for the world to come. Sometimes we have to imagine to recognize what cannot be seen otherwise. Sometimes we have to imagine to wonder at what could be. This type of imagination does not have to be childish, and it does not have to lead to passive reception of wounds or suffering. It can be the very work that propels us to act. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream stemmed from a holy imagination that refused to allow white racism to dictate the terms of reality, he dared to dream from a different imagination. His imagination sparked hope when many thought hope was lost. The imagination can be a spark that rises from ashes to kindle new possibilities. It can propel us toward recognition of the ever-elusive presence of divine love loose in the world today. This is desperately needed in this time of great woundedness. Luke writes about wounds in this post-resurrection narrative following a post-resurrection narrative. Prior to this reading, Luke records that Jesus encountered disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus and the disciples spoke, but the disciples did not recognize Jesus. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus taught, but recognition did not come through quoting texts and convincing rhetoric. The disciples came to recognize Jesus when bread was broken. Broken bread. The bread of the Eucharist gives life, but to do so has to be broken. Perhaps another way of saying broken bread is wounded bread. After recognizing Christ in the wounded bread, Christ disappeared from the disciples. Then the disciples turned around and they went back to Jerusalem. And it was after returning to the 11 disciples that while they were still speaking to Jesus, Jesus appeared and said, peace. Despite having just heard the testimony of those on the road to Emmaus, the disciples were startled and terrified when Jesus appeared to them. The text says that the disciples thought Jesus to be a ghost, a phantom, spirit present, but not physically there. He addresses the doubts verbally, but then he did something odd. To alleviate the concerns, Jesus invited the disciples to touch and feel his flesh, but before doing that, he showed them his hands and feet. That is odd. Jesus did not ask them to look in the eyes, look him in the eyes, or tell them that something only they would know. He draws attention to his hands and feet. He showed them feet that journeyed with them and hands that had served them. He showed them hands and feet that they would recognize. But these hands and feet were not unchanged by the cross. Recall the Johannine passage read last week, which makes explicit what Luke points toward. The hands and feet of Jesus bear the marks of the nails from the cross. Jesus drew their attention to the wounds of the cross. Practical theologian Mary McClintock Fulkerson tells us that like a wound, theological thinking is generated by a sometimes inchoate sense that something must be addressed. Something must be addressed. Wounds, true wounds, cannot be ignored. They seek to be addressed. Theology, belief, faith about God, they often stem from wounds or relate to wounds. Wounds that could lead to questions 
wounds that could lead to fear, wounds calling out to be addressed. Luke and John affirm that wounds can be a place of recognition, a place where God has gone before us, not to justify, redeem, or cause wounds, but to be recognized. Wounds can be a source of imagination. Faith in Christ does not take away wounds, but faith in Christ is faith in a wounded God. Christ knew wounds, and Christ knows wounds. This is the Christ that black liberation theologian James Cone imagines as present among the lynched and suffering. Christ, present and wounded at the sight of suffering. Cohn also tells us that it doesn't take rope in a tree for a lynching to take place. They just as easily take place at the barrel of a gun. But whether it be at the barrel of a gun, the lynching tree, or the Roman cross, the God who suffers is the God of the oppressed. The risen Christ is the wounded Christ. Christ showed his wounds to disciples so that they could imagine and recognize different possibilities. In order to address their doubts and fears, Christ showed the disciples his hands and feet. Recognition did not come through a whirlwind of cosmic power or a glorious triumphal miracle. Recognition stemmed from wounds. The cross is foolishness, but honestly, radical love is foolishness too. Imagining God's radical love cannot speak past wounds or over wounds. It cannot spiritually bypass materiality. Jesus invited the disciples to see the very places where the nails were driven into his body. The resurrection did not take the scars away. Recognition of the scars led to recognition of Jesus as the Christ. Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. See that it is I myself. Or in Greek, ego ami atos, ego ami, I am. Jesus convinced the disciples of his personhood and presence by drawing attention to his scars. Look at my hands and feet, see that it is I, myself. We see wounds all around us today, wounds of the economic divide, racial divide, and political divides. We see wounds, but do we see Christ? Do we imagine the wounded Christ present and propelling us toward change? The risen Christ is the crucified God. The risen Christ is the crucified God. There is a temptation to forget that. There is a great temptation to join Peter in his avoidance of Christ as Isaiah's suffering servant. We cope with the wounded Christ on Good Friday. We sit unsettled with death on Holy Saturday. But what about the wounded Christ as the risen Christ in Eastertide? This Christ is unsettling. Wounds are unsettling, even as they call to be addressed. In this Lucan scene, Jesus calls the disciples to witness to these things. Part of the resurrection, part of the witness is to wounds. Witnesses are those who have seen and testify through belief about that which they have seen and know. Christian memory is a witness to this Christ, or it misses a core part of how to recognize Christ and imagine Christ. Christian witness is partly kindled from the imaginative spark called forth from wounds. To always miss wounds is to risk missing Christ. Wounds should not be unilaterally glorified or celebrate, sought out, but they also cannot be ignored or silenced. The wounds call out. The disciples were looking right at Jesus. But until bread was broken, until the wounds were shown, recognition of the risen Christ did not take place. This Christ is present in the work of love and liberation today. 
this Christ is present in places of suffering and oppression, seeking to bring about wholeness and restoration. This Christ is recognized by wounds and in wounds. This work of recognition often takes form as resistance and counter-narration. The temptation to see Jesus only when the fishbowl is full precludes the work of imagining Christ when the fishbowl is empty. It's not just a good times and a bad times reminder. It is the very mystery of faith, presence, and Christology. Christ, wounded even in glory. Christ is wounded even in glory. This Christ does not call us to ignore pain and circumstances or seek out suffering. This Christ is a reminder that the power of God is not in chariots and horses, weapons and guns, but in everyday resistance to suffering with the wounded God. The wounds of Christ are meant to imagine a world without wounds. In the cross and the lynching tree, James Cone put it this way, the gospel of Jesus is not a rational concept to be explained in a theory of salvation, but a story about God's presence in Jesus' solidarity with the oppressed, which led to his death on the cross. What is redemptive is the faith that God snatches victory out of defeat, life out of death, and hope out of despair. Beloved, these are ongoing activities seeking present-day actuality, wounds, can help us identify the liberating presence of incarnate, resurrected love today. Not because they are wounds, but because Christ is present at wounds. The risen love is loose in the world today, but if we cannot recognize it, we will not see it. Luke-Acts should certainly be read and interpreted together, but it is significant that this wounded resurrection account frames the conclusion of Luke's gospel account. The final image of Luke is of the ascension, but before the ascension, Jesus opens up the imaginative, interpretive possibilities latent in the experiences and memories of the disciples. He shows the disciples how to interpret scripture Christologically, but also how to believe in the presence of wounds how to have faith in the presence of wounds. The risen Christ continues to be present in the work of justice, liberation, and love today. The risen Christ's presence is found in wounds. The end can be a new beginning, one unforeseen and unimaginable without the grace of God, but by the grace of God, we can imagine it. A few years ago, I was stuck in traffic on my way home from downtown Los Angeles to the San Fernando Valley. Zip-tied to a bridge over the freeway was a sign with one word written on it. The homemade sign said, imagine. Just that one word, imagine. I've always wondered, imagine what? But even in imagining what the sign has generated, imaginative thought. The resurrected Christ is a Christ who asks us to recognize wounds and to imagine other possibilities. The imagination is not always an escape from the world. It can be a way of hoping for the world to come, a way of seeing the world to come. We stand at the intersections of wounds and woundedness. We recognize the risen Christ as the wounded Christ. We see the scars. Let us dare to imagine something different. Let us dare to imagine a world where all people can get home safe, regardless of skin color. Let us imagine a world where all people can get home safe, regardless of sex or gender. Let the imagination come to be by the grace of the risen, wounded Christ. Let us incarnate the love of God loose in the world today. Imagine that.
now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. As we pray for the state of Christ's church and the world, I will set the intention, Lord, in your mercy, and your response will be, hear our prayer. Grant, Almighty God, that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Guide the people of this land and of all the nations in the ways of justice and peace, that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Give us all a reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others and to your honor and glory. Creator of the world, Draw us into prayer and celebration as we gather to remember the gifts of your earth and the stewardship you have entrusted to us as tillers and tenders in your image. By your spirit, help us to trust in your creative and healing presence and to discern those habits and actions that contribute unfailingly to the true well-being of all creatures. Keep us faithful to this gathering in faith and bless this vine your right hand has planted. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Bless all whose lives are closely linked with ours, and grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as he loves us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles, and bring them the joy of your salvation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We commend to your mercy all who have died. That your will for them may be fulfilled and we pray that we may share with all your saints in your eternal kingdom. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Loving and merciful God, you sent your Son to redeem us from the burden of sin and death. Guide us to be echoes of divine compassion as we strive to uphold your commandment to love one another as you have loved us. May we strengthen our own communities, for in serving others, we are serving you. Amen. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forever. Amen.